to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Good morning. That, you can do better than that. Good morning. You guys need to go back to Starbucks, drive back through, and get your latte and whatever you get. Uh, it's a great day. My USC Trojans won yesterday, and I'm telling you, I don't know why, man, I just sit there and sweat bullets when they're, they're playing, and, but uh, I'm so excited. And you 49er fans, you have McCaffrey now, so you have nothing to worry about. Uh, welcome everybody from the internet, welcome Las Vegas and wherever you may be, uh, Northwest, we love you guys at Northwest. We love all our different campuses that are watching in today. People from Thousand Oaks, we love you guys in Thousand Oaks. I'll give you a, a call out when you're listening. So uh, we got a lot to talk about today. And so we're getting into the Christmas spirit early. Get your Christmas lights up. Get your Christmas music going. Let's enjoy the season. And let me pray this right here. Father, God bless and anoint what I have to share today. And I believe you to do it in Jesus' name, and everybody can say, Amen. Wally Perling was a young boy who lived near Atlanta, Georgia, and he was disabled mentally. We might say that he was intellectually challenged, and he was, he was disabled. And uh, very sweet, though. They said this boy was so sweet. He had the heart the size of Texas. And the, the Christmas play was coming up at the school. And Wally wanted so badly to be in that play. And he wanted to be a, sh a shepherd. That's what he wanted. But the teachers knew that the shepherd's role had too many words, and he couldn't pull it off. So finally they said, well, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make you the innkeeper. And all you have to do is say five words. Uh, there's no room in the inn. No room in the inn. That's all you have to say. Now, Wally practiced it. No room in the inn. Say it in a mean way. And get your, get your angry face on. No room in the inn. And so he took the role, and they had him practice and practice. And so the day of the play came, and uh, so he's at the inn waiting for his big moment. Joseph Mary knocked on the door, and they asked if there was a room, and there was awkward silence. It went on, seemed like forever, and the audience was waiting, holding their breath. He didn't say anything. And so finally, Mary and Joseph said, we'll just walk away, you know, he forgot his line. And as they walked away, he said, wait, wait, wait a minute, the baby can have my room. <laughs> wow. Wow, good answer, Wally, good answer. And with that in mind, I'm going to read you some verses today, and let's look at Luke 2, verse 1 through 18. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth, or in that general area. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. 
in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and she was with child. You all know that story. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, swaddling cloths, the King James says, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. Say with me, sign. Okay, you see it? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Now get this next line. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. There's a difference here, okay? Then it goes on. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statements which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now listen to me closely. This story has been lifted out of its Jewish context by so many people. This story today is colored by the Western mindset. It's been Americanized. Even little nativity scenes got it all so wrong. They have a barn, which it wasn't a barn. They have a star. The star wasn't there on that particular day. They have the wise men around the nativity scene. They weren't coming for quite some time, a year or two. And the angels and the camels, there were no camels there. We've totally Americanized this. Now, here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. Jesus was not born into a vacuum, but was born into an entirely Jewish context. You've got to get that. Now, I'm going to go back again and talk to you about something that I've talked to you about for so many years. You're probably tired of hearing about it, but I have to talk about it again because it's the context in which I want to place my title today, a new conclusion to an old assumption. So listen up. Years ago, I had never heard of what I'm going to share with you today, but I went to God in prayer, and that's what I do. That's just what I do. When I'm confused about something, I don't go to a commentator first. I might later. I don't go to a study guide first. I go to God and ask for the Holy Spirit to help me. Isn't that what he's called, the helper? And I use this platform right here. I say, God, you call me to do what I'm doing, so now I need you to give me the goods to do it. I was confused. I didn't, it didn't set well with me that, that the Son of God had to be born in a manger. I thought, why? There was inns. You could have made room in the inn. I don't get it. And I was very bothered by the whole idea. And so I went to prayer, 
And I prayed, and I said, God, please show me this. This, for some reason, this doesn't make sense in my mind. Can I suggest to you, it didn't make sense in my mind because God wanted to lead me to this truth that I'm going to share with you today. And so all of a sudden, as I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, God leads me to one thing, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Man, have you ever opened my eyes to something big or what? Now, this was something that I'd never seen before. I've never heard another pastor really preach it, not pastor. I really, I still today don't hear pastors preaching this, but I went on the internet, and it's all over the internet. Theologians and scientists, uh, they're all, they all see what I see. A lot of them do. But you don't hear about it in the church world today. Now, listen to me closely. Jesus, I believe, was born in a place called Migdal Eater. Migdal Eater was a real place right near Bethlehem. It was a tower. It was called the Tower of the Flocks. I mean, take a look at this map right here. This is Migdal Eater. It's right there in Bethlehem, about five miles from Jerusalem. Now, according to the Talmud, all livestock around Jerusalem were all holy livestock. They were all used for temple worship. And so any livestock you saw in the hills around Jerusalem, they were holy unto God, especially the sheep. Now, the tower of Migdal Eder was a tower erected years before the shepherds began to use the tower. The tower would be used for two purposes. Number one, the top part was used as a lookout. The shepherds could go up and look out over the flock. They could see if any wild animals were out there, if any thieves were coming. In the old days, they used it for war. But they used it, shepherds are taking it over now. So they could see a long ways away on top of the Tower of Migdal Eder. Now below was a big area that was kind of like, I don't know what you'd call it, a big open area. It's where they would give the lambs a place to have their young. Makes sense. Now, these shepherds at Migdal Eder were told from tradition that these were shepherds in charge of the sheep, and all of these sheep they were raising only five miles from Jerusalem. They were holy sheep, and they were used for temple sacrifice. And, and so they raised them there for only that purpose, that they'd be used in the temple to be sacrificed for men's sins. Now, listen to me. Uh, Jesus was born in this place for a reason. If you even, you can read all kinds of sidelines in this story, that Jesus, the bread of life, was born in a city called the house of bread. He was in a feeding trough because he said, I'm the bread of life, eat of me. I mean, you have so many things going on here. So it's my belief that Jesus was born in Migdal Eder, and it was a perfect scenario. The Lamb of God was born in the, the, this particular place where lambs were raised for temple sacrifice. And of course, Jesus was the greatest sacrifice of all. Now, this Migdal Eder I'm talking to you about, it's in Scripture. Uh, look at Genesis 35. 19 through 21. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. 
Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. Now Micah gets really plain, Micah 4.8. As for you, watchtower of the flock, which if you look at your reference, that's Migdal Eder. As for you, Migdal Eder, stronghold of daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter, to, to the daughter Jerusalem. Kingship will come where? At Migdal Eder. Now, these lambs that were raised at Migdal Eder for temple sacrifice, they had to be safeguarded very carefully. Because you read in Scripture that if a lamb was defiled in any way, if he had a scratch, a scar on him, anything, he was rejected for temple sacrifice. So they had to be raised in a very careful fashion. Look at Exodus 12 and 5. It says, your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, and you'll take it from the sheep or from the goats. Look at 1 Peter 1.19. But with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now, if you've been to Israel, this is a very rocky place. And a lamb left to itself would probably skin itself up, hurt itself, wound itself, and be rejected for temple sacrifice. So it is my opinion, and many scholars' opinions, that there were swaddling claws all on the walls of the birthing stalls. And as soon as that lamb was born, they would wrap it with a swaddling cloth to protect it so they could preserve it for temple sacrifice. Now, I propose to you that this is the birthplace of Jesus for many reasons. I'll give you one or two right now. One is to confirm that He was the Lamb of God, that He was the Lamb of God, going to be given for men's sins, a sacrifice. And man, God had this all outlined. I mean, do you don't think John the Baptist knew this? Look at what John the Baptist said, John 1, He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Lamb of God. How appropriate it was for him to be born in a place where the sacrificial lambs were born. Number two, it served as a confirmation to all Israel that he was the Messiah. The shepherds got it. If you notice in our text, in fact, maybe we need to take a look at it again. Look at 2.12. It says, this will be a sign for you. What? That he was born a Migdal leader. The shepherds knew. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now, let's look at the Greek word for sign. It's a miracle, an indication, a mark, a token, a sign. And it says a sign, typically, typically miraculous sign, given especially to confirm or corroborate or authenticate. So, he said this birthing place is a miracle. And it's given to confirm and corroborate and authenticate the truth that Jesus was born as the Lamb of God. Now, look at Luke 2.15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They didn't have to have directions. They knew exactly where to go. They knew exactly where to go. They didn't have to ask where. They went straight to Migdal Eder. Look at Luke 2, 17, 18. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. This is the shepherds. And all who heard the shepherd's story wondered at these things. 
They just were amazed at it. Because the shepherd says, man, we got it down, I'm telling you. And especially after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they said, we had it down all along. He was born as a sacrificial lamb, right, a Migdal eater. He was meant to die for the sins of the people. We've got it. And that spread everywhere. What a confirmation. It wasn't an accident that he was crucified. He was born as a lamb of God. He was born to be sacrificed. He's the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, they had it down, and they had to just blow everybody away everywhere. Say, we were there. The angels confirmed it. No accident here. Oh, I get jazzed on this story, I'll tell you. One Greek translator wrote concerning the word marvel. It says, people marveled when the shepherds told their story. Look at what it says. It says, amazement with a suggestion of beginning to speculate on the matter. That's one of the Greek translators. So what they were amazed, going, whoa, wait, let's speculate. Wait, he was born there. There was no room in the inn. Whoa, what a plan God had. Wow. Now, let's talk, and we're going to come back to this idea in a moment. But let's talk about some more general lessons that we learned from our story this morning. I'll make some observations. Number one, let's look at the innkeeper's lack of awareness. He was oblivious to the fact that that was Mary and Joseph. He was oblivious to the idea that they were carrying baby Messiah. Had he not been oblivious, he would have done like Las Vegas did, got him one of those neon signs going, Messiah born here. Stay in the same place the Messiah was born. He would have capitalized on that. But they had no, he had no clue whatsoever. Now, today, I don't want you to live with the same kind of lack of awareness that they were living with. Jesus was right there in the womb. He showed up on their doorstep. They didn't recognize him. I'm going to suggest to you that Jesus is showing up in your world every week, and a lot of you aren't recognizing him. He's showing up. He's showing up in conversations. He's showing up in texts. He's showing up in your Bible reading in the morning, in your devotions. He's showing up. Say with me, he's showing up. And we're not seeing him. I'm telling you, amazing story in Luke chapter 24. Two of the disciples were on their way to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. These were two disciples of Jesus. They, it doesn't tell us who they were. And one of them's names given to us, but they're not, we don't know exactly who they were. And they're walking along the road, and they're discussing what had just happened in Jerusalem. And they were blown away. And Jesus himself enters their, 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 their trip. He, he, he comes and enters and starts walking with them. And he starts conversing with them. He says, what, what are you guys talking about? They said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what just happened? Jesus, the Messiah, he, he came and the people crucified him. And rumor is that, that they went to the grave this morning and he isn't there. He's risen. And man, everybody, it's the talk of the town and, and you don't know that? And then he began to talk to them about Scripture. He said, well, Jesus was mentioned all through Scripture. And he starts expounding all these Scriptures to them. And they're walking along just infatuated, and it's almost dark, and they're getting to the village. They say, hey, you want to just come and stay with us? You know, it's getting dark. Just might as well stay with us. He said, okay. He went in, 
and started breaking bread with him. And I think it was a duh moment going, duh, does this look familiar or what? He started breaking bread with them, and all of a sudden, they recognized, this is Jesus. And just as they recognized him, he disappeared. Ah! And then they go on, and they, they start reminiscing, going, man, when he joined our conversation, wasn't your heart burning inside of you? Did, didn't you feel something crazy? Yeah, I did. Man, I never felt like that in my life. That's because it was Jesus. And they were just blown away. But he was with them. How many times are you in a, a sermon, the preacher's preaching, and all of a sudden you get this burning and you get this sensation, go, whoa, it's Jesus. He's showing up. So many of you come up all the time and say, man, I like what you said today. And I go, I didn't say that, but you heard that. Jesus shows up. In your Bible reading, you're doing your devotions, and all of a sudden one verse jumps out of the page at you, and you go, whoa, my heart's burning within me. I'm telling you, gang, I'm telling you, we don't want to be like the innkeeper. We need to be looking for Jesus. He knew the prophetic word. He knew the baby was going to be born soon, or he should have. Maybe he wasn't walking with God. I don't know. But had he known that Jesus was really there, he might not have missed the blessing. At least that's the lesson that we learn here that's very teachable. In the same way, when you look for Jesus during the week, you might just seem. Again, I wish I had time. I wrote down a bunch of illustrations here, but I don't have time. I'm watching the clock this morning. But I can tell you of conversations I've had for where I go, whoa, 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 say that again. That, that, God told you to say that. I, I can't believe that. Uh, gestures, circumstances. Look at Hebrews 13, too, one of my favorite verses. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why, some have extended hospitality to angels and never even knew it. I'll bet you a lot of you have seen angels and haven't even known it. They've appeared. Maybe you've been tested. Again, I got stories, man. After 50 years, I've got stories about everything. But I say, Ron, keep moving. Yeah, keep moving. Okay. Lesson number two, the innkeeper was preoccupied. It was, it was a busy time for him. I mean, man, Bethlehem had all kinds of visitors. People were coming and going, and business was good, and he was selling out his rooms. Listen to me. The next four weeks are going to be very, very busy. And let's don't miss Jesus. This is his birthday. Would you find it kind of odd if you had a big birthday bash Everybody showed up and started giving one another presents and ignored the host whose birthday we were honoring. This is his birthday, or it's a day, we know not literally, but it's a day we've chosen to celebrate his birth. Don't be too busy to honor him in this season of life. Have you noticed, anybody noticed but me, that our culture, society, is slowly taking Jesus out of Christmas? Have you noticed it? They're slowly removing Jesus. In fact, not just at Christmas, they're trying to remove Jesus, period, from our lives. It's happening, and I'm telling you, it's methodical, and it's, it's got thought behind it. The devil is behind this. He wants Jesus removed from government, from politics, from school, from the seasons, and he's doing it slowly but surely. It blew me away. I looked up 40 of the most popular Christmas songs. Here they are. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, 
Blue Christmas, Elvis Presley, Feliz Navidad, Santa Tell Me, Jingle Bell Rock, White Christmas, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Out of 45 songs that I looked up, not one of them mentioned Jesus. They're slowly removing him. Let's don't let that happen in our lives. Let's bring him back. Say, say with me, we're going to bring him, bring him back. <laughs> Who are we bringing back? Jesus. You bet we are. After the first year, I'm starting a series, and my series is going to be, it's time to armor up. It's time for the real Christian to be the real deal. And we're not going to become a political church, so don't, don't get afraid of that. We're not going there. But we've got something really cool we're going to share with you. There's a lot of, lot of uh, opportunities to make Jesus big this time of the year, but we must start now. Number one, how about praying over the gifts you buy someone? Maybe someone that you didn't even think about buying a gift for, and you start praying, and, and you're able to go to them and say, you know what? I was in prayer this week, and God put you on my heart. Whoa, what does that say to that non-believer? You mean God put me on your, I know he did. See, the Bible says the kindness of God leads to repentance. What does that mean? When people start seeing God in a different way than they, they've been raised to see him, they're going to turn their ways. You're going to say, that's a cool God. I mean, maybe God would lay on your heart to buy somebody a Bible for Christmas, and that Bible might lead to their salvation. Are you open to it? Yes, one person is. Praise God. Uh, a coat or a jacket, say, I got this for you. And you know what? It has a little turtle on it. And I remember, man, you're, you, you, you're into turtles. And I was praying one day, and I felt God tell me you needed a jacket. Oh, I do. Uh, how did you know? Jesus told me. And I wanted to buy this for you. Uh, a card. God might lay on your heart to write a card to somebody and say, I, I didn't have money for presents this year, but I wrote this card to you, and the Lord gave me the thoughts that I put on here. Play traditional Christmas music in the home. Play traditional, because the Bible says that there's power in Christian music. Holiday prayers over meals. Again, I know it's redundant, but I'll say it and say it and say it to remind you. On Christmas Day, say, do you mind if I ask the blessing? And maybe it's something simple. You say, Lord God, today I'm thankful for Aunt Mary and Uncle John. And you know, God, you always lay them on my heart when I pray. And Father God, they're special to you. And I pray that maybe they'll even come to church with me one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't make your prayers a long time where everybody's snoozing. Some people pray and I go, oh God, please quit, cause them to quit praying. I don't even know what they're saying now. I forgot what they said. Sometimes, don't put it past me, I'll just start eating while they're praying if it's too long. I'm not going to wait around. I see guys baptizing sometimes, and they're praying, 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 and I think, man, you're just going to drown that person, man. I mean, come on. I don't like long prayers. Pray what you got. Spit it out so we know what you prayed. Oh, Heavenly Father, today they've come to church to be baptized. And Lord God, you know it was a rough... Oh, come on, get to the point. You, if, if, if I prayed for any of you lately, you've heard me. At the end of almost every prayer, I said, God, I don't like long prayers, so in Jesus' name, amen. I'll give you something to put your faith in. So, uh, 
Let me just ask you a question. Just, can, can I meddle a little bit? Do you all still use the opportunity to pray over meals? It's, just, it's an opportunity. I know you don't have to. And for Pete's sake, stop praying, Lord, bless this meal. That means make more out of something than what it would be otherwise. That's probably not smart. But, but use that opportunity. Even in a restaurant, when you're by yourself, use that opportunity. How about inviting people to church? There's so many opportunities. Sh sharing your sermon notes from, from Sunday. Like today, I'm giving you, man, I'm giving you conversational peace here to go home and say, man, you know what our pastor shared today? I mean, come on, let's bring Jesus back. Preoccupation, preoccupation almost always leads and produces indifference. Number three, and here's where we're going to hit the final line here and we're going to go home. But here's the deal right here. Although those others are great lessons to learn, here's the point I want to make today. I want to celebrate the innkeeper's obedience, his obedience. Now, here's what I want you to see today. Although the other lessons were relevant for teaching and encouragement, this is the new conclusion to the old assumption. I believe that the innkeeper was used by God to turn Joseph and Mary down. God used him to turn them down. God did not want Joseph and Mary at that inn. God did not want them at that bread and breakfast at this time in their life. He didn't want baby Jesus born there. God had a plan, and the plan was so much bigger than they saw. And God said, my plan is that they're born in Migdal Eder. And in order for that plan to happen, Joseph and Mary are going to have to tell them no. There's no room in the inn. If they had stayed in the inn, it would have messed up the whole plan. Here's what I want you to see. God uses closed doors in our lives. Sometimes a closed door is an answer to your prayer. But we're not seeing this. Not, not very often. God sometimes has to close doors he doesn't want us going through so he can open up another door that he does want us to go through. I was so disappointed. I wanted to be an attorney all my young years. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a criminal attorney. I wanted to get up there and argue the law. I wanted to get up and, boy, I want to talk to that jury. And I wanted it so bad. I went to school, got my paralegal, one class away, all that. But God slammed the door shut. Why? Because he had a better door. And this is it right here. I'm an attorney for Jesus. When I got cancer and was told I was going to die, I wanted a bone marrow transplant. I, I really wanted it. I got on the list going, this is my key to healing. And God slammed that door shut so he could heal me another way. I could go on and on. Had someone given the prodigal son a job while he was out there, he would have never went home. Never would have been restored to his dad. See, sometimes God's going to use you to tell people no. You're not going to want to. When you walk by the Spirit, sometimes God says, go tell them no. But God's going to hurt their feelings. God, they really want me to do it. Tell them no, says the Spirit of God. I'll tell you, if you're a people pleaser, you better hear this. There are times that God's going to use you to help close doors he doesn't want people going through. 
Some of the hardest things I've had to do as an employer. At one time, we had 85 employees. We don't have that many now. And we had our school. We had a bunch. Been very hard for me to go to people, and I've done it quite often. And I'll say something like this. You know what? God doesn't want you here anymore. And I know you're going to get mad at me. You're going to hate me. But I'm telling you, God has told me he doesn't want you here anymore. And if I had time, I could give... Get three people up here to give testimonies that still go to this church today that we let go. And now they're in the career of their dreams. And they're being used by God so big. That never would have happened if they stayed here. And so sometimes you will be the one. Uh, Sometimes he'll tell you to break off a relationship and stop leading someone on. He's going to tell you, you're going to be the bad person. You're going to break it off because I have somebody better than you for this person. And you're going to need to release them. Uh, I could go on and on again, but I want to get out of here on time. Maybe the innkeeper got a bad rap. Maybe he's not a bad guy after all. Maybe he was just doing the very thing that God laid on his heart to do. To not look at all. Let me just, just touch on the five observations. I haven't had time to go over, but I'll just mention them. Number, number I, I don't know where my numbers are at now. I need three, five, four, I don't know. I'll just put an X by them. Another, another observation is learn to walk in the Spirit and not lean on your own emotions. Isn't that what Proverbs 3, 5, 6 tells us? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not under your own understanding. That's what it says. Acknowledge God in all your ways, and He'll make your path straight. Some of your paths are not straight today because you've not been acknowledging God when He showed up. Had you acknowledged Him, your paths would be a lot straighter than they are today. But thank God for Romans 8, 28, for God causes all things to work together for good. Even when you flub up because He loves you, He can make some good out of it. Another one is get used to looking for Jesus in your life. I'll give you that phrase I've given you for years. You're going to see what you're looking for. You're going to see what you're looking for. Another one, don't compartmentalize your life. Oh, Christians, I wish I could preach on this. I might have to come back next week and go on this again. But so many of you compartmentalize your lives. I have my work life. Then I have my recreational life. I have my relationship life. Then I have my religious life. Jesus should be Lord of all of them. Don't say, I'm going to work today, so I'll leave Jesus at home. I got a love life now, and I don't want to scare her and run her off, so I'll leave Jesus at home. I'll leave Jesus in the, in the manger. I'll leave Jesus in the manger. This innkeeper, there are things he still could have done and accomplished God's will. He could have stepped outside and said, at least I'll pray for you. Let me pray that God will lead you somewhere. He could have at least after work went and checked up on him and said, do you need anything? He still could have affected God's will and still also been used by God. And another one is, don't let people blame you for doing what you feel the Spirit told you to do. So many times people will ask me, Ron, why did you make that decision? Why? Why aren't you giving? Why aren't you helping? Because God said not to. My son-in-law, when he started the church in Thousand Oaks, which is going great big guns, God told me, he said, don't give to him. Don't help him. I want to do it myself, and I don't want you in the way. I want to prove my faithfulness to him just like I did you. I don't want you helping him. And I didn't do a lot to help him. That's my son-in-law. 
We were helping the church in Ventura, two trees. And God told me one time, he said, go tell Brad, you're not going to help him any longer because I want to start helping him. I don't want you helping him. Those were hard decisions. And sometimes there were some hard feelings, but I didn't let people tell me that I was wrong when I was obeying God. And last but not least, and I'm ending, learn that God is in the habit of using bad circumstances for his glory. I'll end with this story. A professor and his wife, seminary professor, were vacationing in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I I fact-checked this story to make sure it's true, and it's true. And the professor said, as we were sitting there eating our morning breakfast, we saw a very distinguished man with white hair going from table to table, talking to people. I told my wife, I sure hope he doesn't come over here. And so we sat there, and sure enough, here he came. And he started a conversation. He says, uh, where, where are you all from? Oklahoma. Oh, wow, Oklahoma. What do you do there? He said, I, I'm a teacher at a seminary. He said, oh, you teach preachers to preach, right? Well, kind of, yeah. He said, well, have I got a story for you. He said, look out that window right there. Look at that mountain. See that mountain over yonder? Right at the foot of that mountain one day was born a little boy to an unwed mother. And that little boy grew up, and he always hated people asking him the question, and son, who's your daddy? He said, they would ask me in the marketplace. He said, they would ask me at the supermarket. They would ask me at the drugstore. They would ask me everywhere I went. Now, son, who's your daddy? And he said, I began to... I began to hate the question. Finally, little boy said, I wanted to go to church, and I found a church that I liked. But every day before the pastor would give the benediction, I would leave quickly because I didn't want him asking or anybody, who's your daddy? How'd you get here? He said, one day the preacher made a real abrupt ending, and I didn't get a chance to get outside, and the preacher beat me to the back. And when I went through the dreaded question, son, who's your daddy? He said, thank God this was a new preacher, brand new to the church. But he was a discerning preacher. He knew when I asked the question by the silence and by my look that something was wrong. He said, well, wait, wait, son, I know your daddy. Now, what's wrong with me? I can see the resemblance. Son, God is your father. He's your daddy. And he said, you know what, buddy? You got a big inheritance. You go out there and grab a hold of that inheritance. And he said, believe it or not, as a little kid, I left that place changed that day. That changed me. And he said, I never would have became what I, what I have become in life. I never would have done what I did if it wasn't for that new preacher giving me that word. And he left. Simmerney professor said, I called the waitress over and I said, who is that guy? She said, you don't know? I said, no. That's Ben Hooper, the ex-governor, the old governor of Tennessee true story. And so I'm here today to tell you, with God on your side, doesn't matter what bad things happen to you. He can redeem them, and He will if you'll look to Him. Just be present when Jesus is there. Jesus was there for little Ben Hooper that day, and He used a phrase that might not affect any of us, but affected Him deeply. Jesus showed up and changed His life. I got so much more to say, but there's always another Sunday, right?
Love you guys. I can say that from the bottom of my heart. I see some of you every week, and I don't get to tell you, but I love you, man. I love you. I do. I love you guys a lot. And thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. Father God, today, I forgot the altar call last week, and you got me before I got across the line. If you're here and you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, what does that mean? That means you come to a point in life where you say, God, I'm tired of living for myself. I want to start living for you. And what do you do? You actually ask the Holy Spirit to come and live in your body to give you the strength you need to follow Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit's help. You can't do this by yourself. So if you're here today and say, Pastor, I really never remember a time that I've really humbled myself and said, God, I need you. It's a humbling experience. Would you do me a favor? And I promise I will not embarrass you. Do me one favor and just raise your hand. God will see it and say, I've never really accepted the Lord, and I, I, I want to. Just raise your hand boldly and unashamedly. Yes, God bless you, sweetheart. Yeah, God bless you, buddy. God bless you in the back, back there. And just raise your hand high. God will see it. And then I want all of us to pray with those who raised their hands, or maybe he didn't. Everybody pray together and say, Lord God, today I give you my life. Send the Holy Spirit. Come and live in my body. And give me the power I need to begin to walk after Jesus. I receive the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I tell you, those who raise your hands, you're walking out. You're a different person. You walked in. You're walking out with God in your body. Love you. Be safe out there. Blessings. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org.